Hello and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Trust. This is a unique podcast where we talk about the detail of the entrepreneur's journey. The tough, the rough, the difficult and the challenging. We don't hold back here. Entrepreneurship is a glamorous and wonderful career direction. But way too often, it's glamorized, it's made to seem inspirational, exciting and sexy. And it is all of those things. But we also know that it's a difficult, challenging process to be involved in. The world is littered with entrepreneurs who tried and failed. And we don't get enough information about those failures. We don't hear enough of those entrepreneurs talking about how they got through those difficult times. And that is exactly what the Entrepreneurs Trust podcast does. So welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you get some benefit from it. Now, this podcast is a very special one. This is where I get to spend some time with somebody that I have found inspirational, exciting and worthy of actually talking to about their entrepreneurial journey. I have with me Onye Obiacha from the Yale University in Connecticut. So he is a really interesting gentleman. His journey to his role as the director of the Psy Center is fascinating. And I was touched by his willingness to talk about the deeper meaningful stuff about his journey. The other thing I really want to say about this podcast is that it was recorded in a classroom with one microphone on my uh, handheld voice recorder. So the quality isn't great, but my colleague Jared has done some wonderful stuff with it. So just bear with it. The message is worth listening to. So um, so this, this is a, a really interesting podcast for me because you've heard me talking about my thoughts on entrepreneurship. Um, and I do that for various reasons. But this series is special. This is called The Special Source because I meet some amazing people that have wonderful experiences that I've connected with that resonate with me. With me. So I'm here in the beautiful city of Gyor on an entrepreneurial boot camp with a number of amazing institutions. And, and one of the gems for me in this boot camp is meeting a guy that I've actually spoken to before uh, and I found really cool on the phone. I mean, he's got a real cool voice. Um, but I, I, listening to him and talking to him, I mean, I resonate with what he's doing, his mission, his goals. Um, so let me introduce you to Onye Albiacha. He's the assistant director of the Sci Center for innovative thinking at Yale. I mean, I went to a great university, uh, Bangor University, which you obviously don't or may not know. It was really important to me, but this is Yale, guys. This is, you know, one of the best universities in the world. So 
I know he's more than just a guy from Yale. I know he's earned his place there. Um, but Onye, if I could ask you to introduce to us a bit about your story, um, and then I'd like to know what you do at the Sci Center. Um, but then we want to talk about your mission that I found fascinating. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, first off, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and have this conversation. Um, so I'm a Connecticut native. New Haven, Connecticut is where Yale is, and I grew up about 40 minutes north of that in a place called Windsor, Connecticut. Um, I've been in Connecticut all my life. I went to University of Connecticut, and then I had the opportunity after graduating to start a coffee roasting company and coffee shop with my co-founder Vishal Patel. It was an amazing experience. We were a benefit corporation, a social enterprise, all things I'm happy to explain more about later. Um, I sold my business and then started at Yale just on a one-year fellowship, helping to build out the social entrepreneurship programming across the university. Um, that went well for a while. And then I uh, was interested more around what is the role of social movements and activism in innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, so at Yale, there's a Center for Public Service and Social Justice. Um, so I talked to the executive director there and I said, you know, in the United States, we have Black Lives Matter. In the United States, we have a number of organizations who, after the elections, 2016, they were starting to get a better understanding of how they can use their social mission in a way that's more sustainable and, and more innovative. Um, so I told this to the executive director at Yale, um, at the Center for Public Service and Social Justice, and then he hired me as a director of innovation. Um, so I was the first director of innovation at the center, really helping to build out what that meant. Um, after that, Joseph Tsai, one of the uh, early employees of Alibaba Group. Uh, he's a Yale College and Yale Law alumni. He gave his very generous gift to Yale to start the Sci Center for Innovative Thinking. Um, and then doing my work as Director of Innovation at the Center for Public Service and Social Justice, I was directly connected with building out the Sci Center and then eventually they hired me as the Associate Director there. So that's kind of my journey from beginning to, to where I am now. So you kind of underplayed what it means to be at Yale. That's because you're so humble and, and I appreciate that. Um, let me just add to that story a little bit from what I know. You don't get a job at Yale just because you graduate from another university. You don't get a job at Yale because you know somebody. You get a job at Yale or any good place because you know what you're talking about because you really believe in your mission and you connect with it in a way that when you talk about it, other people feel your passion. So what I'd like to know is, what's your personal lessons from the past that have influenced you to be where you are today? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think there are a number of pivotal moments in my life that has allowed me to, to come to Yale and be effective in this role. Um, I think first and foremost, I grew up in an immigrant household. My parents are Nigerian. 
Um, so a lot of the immigrant values kind of work hard, stay true to yourself, stay dedicated until finishing something until it's done at a high level were things that personally I was raised on. And then when I was a young man born and raised in Connecticut, I lived in Nigeria for a year. Um, so living in Nigeria and getting a firsthand experience of friends and family and my uncles who I've never met before, uh, very much living in poverty and being some of the happiest individuals I've ever met. So that first got my social mission uh, really peaked. What does it mean to help people understanding that the way that you want to help them needs to be in the line with the way that they want to be helped. So that's something I really think a lot about. How do you help people as they are and as they need, not what you think is best for them. Um, and I think after that, just starting my coffee roasting company and really launching my first business really put a lot of things in perspective for me of how do you execute at a high level consistently um, with the stress of paying people salaries, with the stress of getting the new client. Um, a lot of the hard work and understanding that I know grew up, I put that into practice very much during my time as entrepreneur. So what I want to pick out of your entrepreneurial journey, look, I I talk about the reality of entrepreneurship, and that is, we call that the badge of honor at the Entrepreneurs Trust. So that's stuff that was hard, was difficult, and was challenging. And this is not a, a tear-jerking story, but what I'd like to know is, what was the challenge that you faced that left the biggest impression mm. on you that's affected where you are and where you're going? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so in terms of challenges, I think the biggest one was my having to sell my business. Um, it wasn't a glamorous occasion by any means. I think my business partner and I had a very fraught relationship. So having to, you know, and I don't have any kids, but I really thought of my first business as the business that would be generational. I would give it to my kids and I would pay for their college and allow everyone in my family to get at least financial resources that they need to be successful. So I think the biggest challenge that I had to step through was this understanding of how do I know my own value enough to make a decision to leave an organization that I built. Um, and that was supremely difficult and getting past that has allowed me to get the confidence I need to continue to operate in different spaces as a, at a high level because I know the value I can bring to myself and organizations I work with. So you talk about um, performing at a high level mm. and that's a really interesting phrase. Mm. So doing what you're doing now, how have you used that energy, that those scars mm. to make a difference in the people that of, whose lives you're touching? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So when I think of performing at a high level, I really think about not so much the end product, but the process in which we took to get there. And what I mean by that is we can build something nice that people enjoy, but if everyone is hurt through the process of getting it done, we have not been consistently performing at a high level. Um, and really paying attention to those little things. So to your point, what I've been able to do based on my own challenges um, with having to sell my business in a very suboptimal way 
was being able to now when I step into rooms, when I have conversations with people, how can I provide an opportunity for them to be able to say what they need to say and operate together in a way that can they can bring their full selves to the situation. If as individuals, we're not at a place where we can bring our full self to do whatever it is we're doing, then we're not getting the best product and we're not getting the best process. There's a, there's a line there. Again, you just say stuff that it just makes me think, my God, uh, you use the term full self. Mm. I like the way those, that, those words connect together but they probably mean something very, very mm. specific. So can you just def define what that full self means? Yeah, that's a, that's a great follow-up question. When I think, I think of myself as, and I encourage other people to think of themselves as a one liter bottle. <laughs> and when you're your full self, your bottle, every part of you, the bottle is full, right? The one liter bottle is full. And I think oftentimes due to a number of different factors, both personally and professionally, we take some of ourself out of the bottle to show up places. We're not bringing everything we have, all our experiences, because for some reason, it's, we don't think it would be honored in those spaces. So when I think about bring your full self, how can I allow folks to really bring all their scars, all their blessings, everything to the table while we're brainstorming and while we're building and while we're going through a process of creating? Why do you believe that people don't bring their full mm. self? to the table. Yeah, so I think it's two reasons. I think one of them is very individual. Um, I think people don't understand who they are, what their value is, and how they can operate within themselves. Um, it's really this idea of what does it mean, who am I, and what is my quote unquote best self? And a lot of people use that phrase often. But how do you become that person? And that's something that only that person can understand. I think the second one is how to create structures, institutional, social, political structures, economic structures that can allow people to be free in what they do and how they move. So I think it's on the individual and the structural level, level that aren't, that can or cannot cause people to be their full self in certain places. The institutional and the structural. Yep, the, the individual and the institutional. The individual and the institutional. So let's say we're talking to a young entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. okay? you, you meet a young entrepreneur you know, in the next room, actually. Yeah. They're, they're, they're working on their pitch yeah. plan because we're in a bootcamp. Yeah. So if you're a young entrepreneur and you're a bit unsure about who you are and why you are and what you are, how do you get that person to become their full self? Mm. I want you to talk to the Anya. Mm -hmm who's 17 and a half years old, mm -hmm. who's in high school, mm -hmm. who's got peer group pressure, mm -hmm. social pressure, fashion pressure, mm -hmm. dating pressure, mm -hmm. homework pressure, and as well as hormonal pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I would say get five index cards and each on each index card, write down one of your values and put those index cards on the mirror. And every day you wake up, say, I'm gonna try to live as many of these values as I can. And every day you won't get all of them, but just knowing what your values are is very helpful for yourself 
and then being intentional about living those values are another good part. So I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is, I think there needs to be more opportunity for self-reflection. So I always ask people, what question does your greatest work answer? No, you say those things that I just simply said, but so deep, mm. but carry on. Yeah. What question does your greatest work answer? Everyone has a body of work, whether personal or professional, but they don't know what question they're trying to solve. I see a lot of people talking to me and saying, Oni, I'm all over the place. I want to do A, B, or C. And I'm like, it actually sounds like you're trying to do one thing, but through three different ways. So I think if we can have that, that North Star, that guiding question and know what it is and know how our work relates to it, on that individual and institutional level, we'll be a lot better off. That was really good. You said institutional, institutional. <laughs> that was only one word, but that was amazing. Okay, I just want to build on that, that, this point that we're working on. When you're a young person and you're going through these challenges, sometimes it's, you're not sure about whether it's okay to be you. Yep. I mean, actually, let's look at this both and let's just be visual for a moment. Yeah. You, you're from an Ivy League university, mm -hmm. but you're wearing sneakers, mm -hmm. you're wearing a beautiful burgundy t-shirt mm -hmm. uh, and your khaki pants. I have my gray, my gray chinos, I got my pink salmon socks. Mm -hmm. We're not the average looking university people are yeah we? yeah so what is it about you that you know you think it's okay to yeah, be me yeah and actually be the full self yeah so so a, a true story is and i i love how you bring up attire because i'm very intentional about how i dress um and a true story is i have been in places where i've had on suits and a tie and my nice shiny black shoes and I've done that. And I remember one time particularly I was in the I was at a meeting um and I was waiting for this like very senior person in this organization. And I was in the lobby waiting for them and I had like a nice jacket on. It was raining outside so I had my raincoat over my jacket, some nice slacks, my shiny black shoes and someone called security on me because they saw someone who looked threatening in the lobby. Just a young man who thought looked nice. So I think it's those things I'm like, okay, well, I'm trying to dress up for this person and even then they don't look at me as I look at myself. So let me just do what I need to do and then move in a way that's more comfortable for me because it's not up to me to try to get these people's permission to act. Mm -hmm. I just need to work with them and I want to work with them, but I need to do things my own way. That's really, that's really helpful actually, because if you're a young kid, you, you're just basically saying, don't play their game, Yep. play your game, Yep. play your way. Play your way. Because it worked for Onye, yep. he's at Yale. Yep. So he's telling you, do it your way. Do it your way, do it your way. And do it your way and be unapologetic about it. Like I don't apologize. I don't go into rooms and saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm underdressed." Like, no, I'm here. Let's get some work done. And the, the thing is, whilst you are wearing technically casual clothes, mm -hmm. you wear them with style. Yeah. Because you wear them with confidence. That's it. And you walk with confidence. 
and you look better in those than somebody who's really smart yeah but has got no confidence yeah. in themselves yeah yeah and if you have that confidence in yourself then you should be able to do what you need to do to move through the world in the way that should be filled with love and joy and happiness and spread that to others as well um but yeah to the to your point i love the way you say it a young kid right now do it your way times are changing mm -hmm. and as the the new generation coming up they can set their own norms and cultures and reimagine the way institutions can work and they don't have to do what has been done time and time again we've actually got some of the secret sauce there already and we're not even at the point of cooking so that's really helpful but i want to go i want to get some of that that super secret sauce that you've learned and you've picked up over the stages. So if you were an entrepreneur again, which bottle of experience mm. would you pick up first? When you've got all your veggies and all your meat mm. or your tofu for me, when you've got all of that together, what is that first bottle that you might not use first, but you're gonna pick up first? Yeah, and you, you mean based on prior experiences? Yeah, I think, now I'm at the point where if I were to start another business, I'm thinking about the most important part, the most important thing right now is just who you know. So now I think about, especially again, going back to 17 and a half year old Oni, what I think about is, you know, I, I let me say this. I, I read this book, um, drink from your well before you're thirsty. And it starts off with the author telling a story of, he was in a room with nine other men and he said, how many calls will you have to make to get 100K, 100,000, right? 100,000 USD. And everyone said, you know, I make 20 calls, I can make, you know, 15 calls. And he said, I can make two calls and I can get 100,000 USD like that because I've built a network that allows me to be able to get the things I need when I need it. And then the book talks about how you're able to do that. So I think for me, when I think about what am I pulling off the shelf, I'm pulling the people that I know and that I can, and that I've spoken to and that can help me with that next entrepreneurial effort. Uh, one thing that, you know, I don't talk a lot about that I've learned so much from is having, my first business was very under-resourced. We were cash trapped. And I think that was good and that allowed us to hustle and really have to be innovative in the way that we built it out but I'm not doing that again. I'm getting that 100,000 USD up front and we're gonna go. So you got, you've actually cheated on me. On you. you picked two bottles. <laughs> you picked the first bottle, which is pick the right people. Mm -hmm. And the right people are the people that actually can make a difference. Yep. And the second one is ask for enough cash. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? The most important thing that entrepreneurs think about is cash. Mm. But what they don't do is think about enough cash. Yeah. So what's the right amount of cash? It's an easy formula. Think about whatever you need and really start with the, like the high number. Like think about, okay, in an ideal world, how much do I need? And then add 20%. Add 20%. Add 20%. I think that's really, so what, the right amount to do what? To, to take your business, it depends what phase you're in, but to at least take your business to 
your first sale if you don't have it already. Really, actually, let me take that back because you should really have a first sale before you even get any investment, I think. But whatever that next key performance indicator is, think about how much money you need to get there. It can be a year from now, two years from now, six months, and then add 20%. Okay, thank you for that. But again, you did it again. You said you should not ask for cash until you've done the first sale. Yeah. So that's not how startup ecosystem is. <laughs> yeah, working. yeah, yeah. You're saying, I got, a, I got an idea. I got an idea. Give me the money. Yep. And you're saying, no. No, no. No, and it, you need to have, and I think that's why a lot of the startup landscape and ecosystem is broken. Mm -hmm. Because we're funding good, we're, no, no, I'm sorry, we're funding okay ideas. Mm -hmm. When really it should be, tell me why the market is going to need this. And the best way to do that is because, is to say, well, I've sold it. The market with their financing has told me that they want it because they bought it. Okay, cool. That's a good proof of concept. So now let's go to the next level. I don't think you're a business until you get your first sale. And even then, and it doesn't even have to be an actual sale. I know for some bigger enterprise organizations, you just need to get a letter of intent. That's good enough. Just something at least legally binding that's saying, I will put some money behind this. For me, um, I invented an insulation system and I got a 3D printout and I used the 3D printout to get all sorts of partners and get some money. Yeah. But it was only until I got an, a massive energy company to commit. They gave me a seven million pound letter of intent. Perfect. I mean, and getting a letter of intent from a corporate is almost like getting the bloody sale. Yeah. And I remember that transformed the whole, yes. whole thing. I got a corporate partner on board. We got a massive grant. Things started moving. And I think you're right. You just hear the journalists seem to write too much about, hey, this company got funded, hey, this company got, hey, they don't, they don't have a profit, they don't sell anything yet. But the reality is, it's different from that. It's not everybody's gonna be in the, not everybody has the connections to open the door to the people that will write the check, yeah. who are stupid enough to put money into businesses yeah. that haven't made the money, don't know how they're gonna make any money yeah. either. So we're almost at conclusion, but I'm not going to let you go uh, until I, I, I think you're going to be a, a rising star of the space that you're in. So I want to know, just tell me a little bit about what the future holds for you. What's the big challenge that you want to try and overcome? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I really enjoy working at Yale for obvious reasons. I want to stay there for, for longer and I plan on staying there for longer. And I think in this role, I'm really excited to start exploring more of how do you create a place-based entrepreneurial ecosystem outside of a major city? Uh, New Haven is very close to Boston. It's very close to New York City. Um, so, and we're only 125,000 people. <clears throat> and less than 2% of Yale students who graduate Yale stay in New Haven. So I'm really interested in seeing what are all the different tools myself, my office, and other individuals in New Haven can deploy to really create an inclusive, vibrant ecosystem for not only Yale students, but for people who also live, work, and play in New Haven. How do you do that? Um, and that's the question that my, my work is trying to answer. 
That's a really, really good question because if you if that works, you're going to have some really bright kids that are going to create huge, amazing jobs. Yes. For the community. Yes. That wouldn't otherwise be there. Yes. Had they go, had they gone to Seattle? Yes. Silicon Valley or New York City. Yes. And and to that, I want to have some community members creating amazing businesses that these Yale students can then work at. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Wouldn't that be the best? <laughs> so we're we're in the city of York. Um, this is Hungary. Have you ever been to Hungary before? I have not. My first time. So, just as a postcard mm. um, in closing, what have you? really appreciated what have you really enjoyed what's really surprised you yeah being here in your yeah at this boot camp with hungarian students yeah and american students i think a, a lot of things i think going back to the individual and the institutional on the individual level so many of these young hungarian and american students have so much in common I mean, they're using the same technology. They're having a lot of the same conversations about things that they see, whether it's through politics, through the different countries, or just thinking about what's happening on social media. So the world is getting smaller in a very real way. I think 20 years ago, if you brought Hungarian students and United States students in the same room, they wouldn't know what the other one's talking about, more or less. Um, so it's interesting to see uh, this these cross-cultural boundaries very much being uh, decreased with the, the the influx of technology and a number of other things. Um, and on the institutional level, the public square, mm -hmm. like just the physical makeup of cities, right? Budapest, Gyor, the public square is mind-blowing to me. I've never, I didn't travel across Europe. I spent a lot of my time in Asia and, and Africa. So knowing that there's a place where a community can come together and do what they need to do, whether it's protest, whether it's celebrate, whether whatever it is, and there's a, a space dedicated to that. I think a lot about in cities and communities, this idea of social cohesion and how do you create physical spaces for people to come together? And I've never seen anything like I've seen here in Cure. So if you were writing the postcard, give me like two sentences, then you, and you're sending this back to, to mom. Mm, mom, okay. Um, Hey mom, hope all is well. Um, we should come to Gyor next year and I want to be able to sit with you and let's talk about how far you've come from Nigeria to America and then let's also talk about what Gyor means for this wider world around us. I actually feel what you're trying to say there mm. and that's really, really, really beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wasn't that a fascinating conversation with Onye Obiacha? He is certainly a leader in his ability to communicate what being a mission-driven entrepreneur is all about. And it is probably because of that he has now been promoted to being the managing director of the Sci Center for Innovative Thinking at Yale University. So I'm even more pleased that I got to interview him and it just shows do great things, deliver huge value, you get recognized. So I hope you 
I hope you managed to find something in that conversation that resonated with you as I did. The one thing I'm going to take away is the feeling that I need to totally accept who I am and what I'm trying to do and be comfortable with that because that's what makes us be the best and it helps other people accept us the most. We can't be accepted by others if we are not comfortable with ourselves. I hope to uh, invite you back again soon to another Entrepreneur's Trust podcast. And I wonder, I wonder who the next Secret Source podcast will be with. All the best for now. Good luck in your journey.